What's up, everybody? Welcome to the KJ52 Podcast. Uh, first of all, big shout out to all my Patreon supporters. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash KJ52. If you like this podcast or what it's all about, you can be a uh, $5, $10, $52 tier supporter. And uh, it makes a huge difference. So, also want to let you know, if you haven't checked out my book, it is now available on all formats. You can listen to it on Spotify. What happened was the mixtape. You can order it on Amazon. It's called What Happened Was. It's also on Audible as an audiobook. Anyway, I was uh, thinking about this and talking this over with a couple people, and uh, rather than waiting to get a uh, co-host, I thought it might actually behoove me to just go ahead and drop my thoughts and get your thoughts in return, especially in the issue something like this that is probably very dear to most believers' uh, hearts. And the thing that I'm talking about, um, you know, in the last couple weeks, uh, we have seen a couple quote-unquote, and I use this very loosely, Christian celebrities, <laughs> which I feel like is an oxymoron in itself, but um, Christian celebrities uh, coming out and publicly or social media-wise and renouncing their faith. Um, specifically, the reason why this one popped in my head um, more than anyone was the guy by the name of Joshua Harris. And if you don't know who Joshua Harris is, um, back, if I'm not mistaken, in the late 90s, uh, he published a book that um, shaped a lot of thought called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And the premise of this book was that believers in Christ should not date, they should court. And that even uh, things, uh, even the most simplest of affections, such as a kiss, should be saved for the wedding day. And um, I think when this book came out, I was already married, so it definitely was not resonating with me. Um, But I can certainly remember some people uh, elevating this book pretty high, and so much so that uh, that it really shaped how they had relationships, um, sexuality, uh, you name it, right? Again, I'm not really thinking too much about this until I was walking through my through my living room and I looked down and I realized there was a book right there that uh, Joshua Harris himself had sent to me. And I remember getting this book and thinking, oh, someone was just thinking about me, decided to send me this book. Opened it up, and it said, 2KJ, Joshua Harris. And the book was called Not Even a Hint. And the book uh, was about, you know, sexual immorality, how to protect yourself. Um, you know, all based around that scripture says that, you know, we should not even have a hint of sexual morality, immorality. <laughs> anyway, I thought about this, and I thought, oh, man. I totally forgot that this guy sent me a book personally. And I can't say that I remember even having a single interaction with him. I can't remember ever meeting him. Um, So I'm going to go out on a limb here, which sounds very egocentric, and just think he must have been a fan and wanted to send his book to me, you know, personally. That's all I can think of. And so that kind of brought the whole thing back into mind, and I thought... Well, this is very interesting because um, the concept 
of what he was bringing forth of this kind of very rigid, um, you, you don't date, you just court, uh, and then you get married. I remember hearing it and being like, well, that's not what I did. <laughs> so I certainly dated my wife, you know, and certainly dated a lot, you know, not a ton of people, but definitely had my dates. Um, and I just couldn't find, you know, a scriptural basis for this, you know what I mean? So I'm like, ah, uh, you know, maybe this will help somebody. And I remember meeting this group, and I will not name who they are, but I remember them being my contemporaries. And, um, again, I'm married, not even remotely thinking about this, but I remember these, these, uh, particular girls in this group were single, and I remember a couple of the single guys that were in another Grant band that I knew were essentially trying to, like, you know, say, hey, what, they're trying to holler at them. And their response was, no, we don't date, we just court. And da 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 And I thought, wow, this book went all the way up, you know, all the way up the, the food chain to, like, this situation where, like, these girls were, like, really serious about this. Like, you know, kind of shoot them off in a lot of ways. And um, I remember kind of thinking, wow, that's a lot for one book to, like, completely reevaluate your thought process on dating. And I do find it interesting, like, when we try to approach something like dating, and, again, I don't know enough about the book to know the premise, so I'm, I'm just speculating here. I'm assuming this is coming from a inferring of the biblical idea that, you know, there's no dating in the Bible, so to speak, right? Um, but, again, that's kind of like looking at things in the scripture and just reading our modern-day society into the context of that time. You're absolutely right. People would not date back then. In fact, you'd probably live in a tiny little village, and if you were a young Jewish man, you know what I mean, by the time you hit 13, you were considered a man, you were usually married off by 15, by, you know, you learned the family trade, if there was some sort of degree of, like, something special about you, you might attend one of the rabbinical schools, um, and then by 20, you know, you were cranking out some pups, and maybe by 30 or 40, you were dead, because you lived a very short life right? And um, I thought that was interesting because obviously at 13, you're still in junior high youth group in our society. You know, things have very much changed. Um, so I remember thinking like, how do you read something into something that was a cultural context that was a product of their time, right? Anyway, again, I didn't think too much about it. It really wasn't on my radar because it didn't really affect me. Um, but I thought all about this, and I and I remember reading an article somewhere that said that Joshua Harris, and this was maybe a year or two ago, had came out and essentially disavowed everything he had said, right? And I thought, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm assuming he was probably in his 30s or 40s by then. Um, like, like, if you were in your 20s and you took this book and you, like, based your whole dating life around it and you know, and maybe things did not go well for you, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, you flash forward, and the guy who wrote it was like, yeah, forget everything I ever told you, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's very interesting, that would really kind of leave you in a dilemma, because on one hand, I'm like, well, is it his fault for saying something that may have been off, or is it your fault for believing it, right, 
Like, where does the personal responsibility come? Does it come in the speaker or in the listener, right? Again, I was thinking about all these things, and then uh, I remember, again, I was like, wow, this guy sent me a book, because I do remember reading the Not Without a Hint book, and thinking, like, there was some good stuff in there, like, there wasn't anything that I was like, nah, keep keep it moving, buddy. <sighs> anyway, I remember, again, kind of thinking, well, you know, I guess in a weird way, I was like, props to him, you know what I mean? Like, he saw, even, it takes a lot of guts to come out and disavow something that really defined who you are. And as I dug a little bit deeper, I found out that he was a part of the Young Reckless Reform Movement, I guess is what they call it, that is uh, 20-something, 30-somethings who are uh, affiliated with Reformed Doctrine or Calvinist Doctrine um, or Calvinist Thought or Theology, and this was also, you know, kind of a rising thing in the church world, so to speak. You know, there's a couple guys of that world. And I have a lot of homies in the Christian rap world that really roll with the reform doctrine. I do not. Um, I also don't turn this into like a, let's start a war about it, but, you know, I've looked at all the, the angles of it. I've, you know, debated it on some way, shape, or fashion with my friends and found that, by and large, there's a lot of things in there that I'm just like, you know, don't not, not feeling it, so to speak. Anyway, the point what I'm trying to get at here is that within all that happening, uh, just recently, he announced that he was divorcing, uh, him and his wife were divorcing, and then, almost right after, he announced that he was uh, no longer a Christian. So I'm like, you know, thinking Ron Burgundy vibes here, like, that escalated quickly, <laughs> right? And... The, the whole thing, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, if you really want to boil it down, because you can debate about the whole kiss, dating, goodbye thing over and over. You can even debate about believers and divorce. But one thing I thought about was, that I really think is kind of the crux of the matter, is that can you walk away from Jesus, so to speak? Can you lose your salvation? Uh, if we believe that belief in Christ and repentance is is uh, paramount to salvation, then if we can walk into that, can we walk away from it? And here's the only reason why I say this, is because there's two schools of thoughts on here. There is the free will school of thought, which says that God gives every man and woman free will, and with that free will comes the ability to choose Christ, and with that same free will, to not believe, so to speak, or to reject. Meaning, I would say there's two kind of different things. Meaning, you can believe that Jesus is the way, or you can reject that. Or, you can believe that Jesus is the way, and then maybe over a period of time you go, you know what, I was wrong. If you're a believer in, in free will, you would believe that you have the ability to do that. That God has endowed people with the ability to do that, right? This would probably fall under the lines of the Arminian uh, view of salvation. Okay? If I'm going too fast, or these are too big of words, or you're just like, I don't know what I'm talking about, Google's your friend, people. Or, if you flip it and go to the other side, there is the Calvinist thought process, or the, uh, the theological bent, which would be the idea that the Calvinist, one of the five points of, of Calvinism, is that 
It's called the perseverance of the saints. That is the P in the tulip, so to speak. Um, that if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a true believer in Christ, that you will persevere to the very end. That you will not walk away from your faith. And the reason why this is proposed is that a Calvinist or a Reformed would believe that you do not have free will. That mankind has no free will. That mankind is bound up in sin and that sin sears the heart and leaves us unable to choose God. That we are unable to receive salvation aside from the fact of God choosing us. Meaning, God is the sole controller of our salvation, that mankind is doomed to be separated from God forever, and that God chooses to the, to the glory of himself uh, to elect some. That those that he chooses to receive salvation will then respond and repent. Meaning God is the sole author of your salvation because he is the one that changes your heart, so to speak. So, in the Calvinist thought process, there is no uh, free will. And you cannot walk away from your salvation because that would essentially make you more powerful than God can. So, these are the two kind of schools of thought here, right? And the only thing I find interesting about this whole thing is that if Joshua Harris, which I, from what I've seen, was a reformed uh, was reformed in his doctrine, reformed in his uh, his understanding of who God is, then how in the world was he able to walk away from Jesus, right? Um, and this is the thing that I've always puzzled me uh, when talking to my brothers in Christ who are of the Calvinist thought process. Because I'll ask some of them, like, okay, you don't believe that man can walk away from God and thus become unsaved, Right? then how do you explain someone in this type of situation? And usually, nine times out of ten, the response is, well, that person was never saved in the first place. Meaning, they just thought they were saved, but they were not repentant, right? So, my counterpoint to this is, if that's the case, and they thought they were, but they really weren't, couldn't that apply to all of us? Like, literally, I believe that I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I believe right now because I've trusted in Christ. I believe that I'm saved. But if according to that thought process, then I would be, I just might be fooled. Who knows if down the road I'm going to walk away from Jesus and, re, and, and essentially like stop believing, right? Don't stop believing. Sorry. little journey break right there. Um, and I haven't really found a Calvinist who could explain this very well. Because the thing that really confuses me, now we're going to go into some deep free will versus predestination versus elect waters here so stay with me or if you're bored and you just want you just like KJ the Mountain Dew guy go ahead and click off here's the one thing that that confuses me about free will as it comes to the Calvinist the idea that most Calvinists that I talk to will say well there is no free will because if man had free will that would prove that man is stronger than God and has the ability to resist you know, the ability to choose Jesus, thus making them more powerful than God, so God cannot give us free will. Okay, I could see how that could be supported scripturally. Then my question is, then how did God give Adam and Eve free will? Because they'll, 
you know, the Calvinists or the Reformed Doctrine people will say, well, mankind has no free will because of Adam's sin, because of Adam's sin that caused us to be unable to choose God because our hearts are, we are dead in sin, so to speak. And a dead man cannot do anything. This is the thing that a lot of my Calvinist friends will say, a dead man cannot do anything. A dead man has to be resurrected. Okay? Then my question is, Adam and Eve did not have original sin. So how are they able to freely choose or not freely choose to sin or not sin? So why would God give Adam and Eve free will and then give the rest of mankind from all eternity no free will? Because if you say Adam and Eve did not have free will, then that makes God the author of sin. And I'm back to square one and I'm super confused. Anyway, the point being is I have yet to find a Calvinist or a Reformed person that can give me a good explanation of this. Um, I've heard some things like, well, God has two different wills. He has his revealed will and his secret will. I, I just haven't heard a good explanation. Or sometimes I'll just hear, well, it's just a mystery. But I kind of feel like if this is the doctrinal point you hold, then it should be airtight. The point of what I'm saying is, if Joshua Harris had correct, correct understanding and sound doctrine, according to Calvinists, then how was he able to walk away from Jesus? And if you say, well, he never was with Jesus in the first place, then my question to that is, then how could any of us know that we're actually saved? Because I'm sure if you would have backed time up and asked Joshua Harris to be saved, he would have said yes, just like you might say that right now. So is God just letting us all kind of think, or there's a small fraction of us think that we are saved, but we're really not? You know, someone has said, well, Calvin believed in something called incandescent grace, which basically meant that God would give you grace for a certain amount of time, and that grace would fade, and then you would walk away. The point what I'm trying to get at is this is super confusing, and I'm looking for someone to give me an explanation. Um, but in the meantime... I will have to simply say that I am not the person to speculate on someone's salvation. The same God that drawed Joshua Harris to himself is the same one that loves him right now as he's walked away, is the same one that is right there in the middle of his marriage that is over, and God knows what the guy's going through to be at this point. And so I think sometimes in those situations, while we can sit around and debate and talk it over and over, the best thing we can do is pray. And the best thing we can do is continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So, very curious to hear what your thoughts are. Please continue. You can, if you hear this, please, uh, you know, drop a comment. And uh, we'd love to get into it. So, hope you guys have an incredible day. Joshua Harris, if you ever hear this, I'm praying for you. I love you, bro. And thank you for sending me that book. And, uh, yeah, y'all have a great, incredible day. God bless.